ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Drums. Uh, been a little while since we've done this. Uh, I guess I'll tell you, I had a, a minor surgical procedure a couple weeks ago. Like, don't trip, it ain't major. I had uh, something going on in my ear. So they had to go in there and do that. Um, and as a result, because it's like, you know, delicate in there, they had to put some packing and stuff. They told me not to do what they consider to be strenuous activity for a month. Um, and y'all know I've been getting my workout on. I've been making some gains, some progress, you know what I'm saying? But uh, strenuous is a vague term. And I didn't get around to asking them, and I figured it's probably better to play it safe. But that means I ain't been able to do yoga in, no, in two weeks. And I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it's affecting my disposition. I keep trying to get y'all on this yoga. And I, I'm just here to tell you now, maybe there's an argument against the yoga because apparently I'm addicted. Like, I'm fiending. You know how bad I want to get into a lizard right now? And it seemed like that shouldn't be such a big deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, it seemed like it shouldn't be a problem. But I don't know. Like, one thing I ain't about to do is have him go dig up in my ear again. And see, Aaron in the chat room talking about he feel like strenuous yoga is not high strain. I ain't about to find out, man. I'm just going to be over here a little bit grumpy. That's all. That's life. Uh... I guess I'll start this. Uh, somebody's probably going to ask a question to this effect. I can, you know, basically get to it already. Um, Y'all know it's still like a pandemic, right? Like, I don't even know if it is like by the technical terms of pandemic. Like, I don't know if the CDC would say that it's still a pandemic right now, but I'm going to just throw this out there, right? Y'all know it's still a pandemic out here because I keep seeing all these states that are here opening stuff up like in 100%. You know what I'm saying? Texas went to the 100%. And by the way, it ain't just... Like the states y'all like to laugh at. Connecticut is going to the 100% very soon. And I'm just saying, just because they'll let you in don't mean you need to take your stupid ass over there. Like I'm asking as kindly as I can. And let me tell you part of why I'm asking. This is a big thing in this I think that we need to keep in mind, okay? The people who are willing to to go to these places are not people who've been playing it safe. You feel me? Like, if you hear the restaurant capacity is up to 100%, and you're like, all right, that means we can go. Like, some tell me you've been out here being a dumbass long before this. So if you have been somebody who has been diligent, but now you're here to let you go sit down in a restaurant, I just need you to understand that you're going to be there in a restaurant with a bunch of morons. And, like, I generally speak and try to avoid going to places full of morons, but uh, when the morons are also, like, potentially viral... I would just recommend that you not engage in like moron activities. I feel like you understand where I'm coming from here. Anyway, let us move on to your questions. Because I don't know how long I'm going to feel like doing this today. 
Apparently, some parents with kids in private schools are upset because they feel the curriculum, which emphasizes racism and inequality in American history, is unfairly targeting white students and causing a woke, quote, cult movement. Could this be the next generation of silent majority who pushes back against liberal sensibilities at their workplace? And I don't know about the majority part, but I do know that the silent part is not what it's about to be. Like, I can tell you that right now. Um, the thing, this is the dilemma that I think is going to come up in trying to engage people in this way and you know, like in like broaden curricula and everything else. You got to realize that the history that is taught in schools, like the formative history that's taught in the United States, it's all taught with the intention of making people feel good about the United States. Like, I think that that's a very important understanding and distinction to have in this. The history that we are taught, it all moves in a direction intended to tell a story about why the United States is so dope. Like, think about this. Uh, Somebody's in the chat room saying it's patriotic by design. Yeah, I'm not really talking necessarily about patriotism, right? I kinda in that regard. What is the most overlooked but significant period of American history. I'm curious to see what some of you guys say about this. And it's something that I myself don't know nearly enough about. But I'm curious to see how long it'll take before somebody in the chat room jumps on to what I'm thinking about. The most significant but undertaught period of American history. All right, people hit it. It's Reconstruction. The problem is there is nothing about Reconstruction and the end of Reconstruction that speaks to anything dope about the United States. Like when people talk about, man, they don't talk about Black Wall Street in schools. They don't talk about Wilmington in schools. No, man, of course not. Why would they do that? Like, the history that is taught is not done for the intrinsic value of giving people the truth. That's why when you get to college, it's a little bit of a different ball game. But that's the thing that you got to understand. And so, you're talking about the rich folks sending their kids to these fancy schools. Um, and then they get there, and they're like, okay, cool. We're going to try to combat this racism a bit head on. Now... I do want to be clear about something, that some of the techniques that I have seen that these elite schools are trying to use are, like, not great. And it does, there is a bit of, like, ham-fisted, like, attempts at wokeness with woke being used in the most pejorative sense possible. There's absolutely an element of that that is present when we talk about this. 
However, when people like Bill Mars of the world, when they then get on those people for trying, they don't put nearly enough emphasis on the fact that they are like what they're trying to do is appropriate. Right? Like the reason that they're trying to do it is legitimate. But it's still a bunch of stuff where it's a bunch of white folks coming up with how to do this and they ain't got no black people to run it past. And so they often mess it up. I'm not going to pretend as though that isn't part of what's going on here. But the idea that you're going to pull your kids out of school because they're teaching you that America's been racist. Yes, it has. But these people that we're talking about are products of the educational system that spent time explaining to them that America is dope. Now, those people, I don't think, consciously recognize that the purpose of the history that they've been taught throughout this time is to sell the point that America is dope. But they don't have to consciously know it to recognize a deviation when they see it and be like, oh, something about this don't feel right. You know? And so, yeah, that's where they are. Now, yeah, they are absolutely going to push back at a lot of this stuff. It's going to be interesting to see, though, if they're able to pull it off, like, in workplaces. Because that is where, in the culture wars, the idea of agenda liberalism has won out. But it's won out in large part because of the requirements of the law. Like, the law is pretty explicit on it, like, list of things that you can't do. But they're not, like, politically guided things, right? Like, you can't discriminate against people on the basis of age and race. There's really only one side that's like, why not? Like, even the people on the left who do discriminate recognize that you're not supposed to do it, right? They're not like, like they try to backdoor around the idea, but they're not trying to bulldoze over like, you can't discriminate stuff. There's one side of the aisle that's like discrimination. I mean, sounds good to us. But you can't put that in, you can't like codify that in the law. Not if this is going to be the country that it purports to be. It can't be done. Um, but yeah, the pushback, I mean, the pushback been here. Like there, there's, there's nothing new about it. It's here and it's going to go on for a long time. I don't know how it's going to work out. That's what it is. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. How talented is Oprah to pull off that Meghan Markle, Prince Harry interview? It is funny that you asked this question because I was talking about this with some people from work the other day. Um, Oprah is the master interviewer. Like, let's let's get that part straight. Like, I, you know, because of course I'm gonna say some stuff that y'all probably gonna think is hating. Um, but Oprah is the master interviewer. There's no way about this. But, but, but. I need to tell you this is somebody who often does interviews, all right? I became a much better interviewer after I got famous. The more recognizable you are, the better interviewer you become. Because the people that you're doing interviews with are far more likely to be comfortable with you 
if they know who you are and if they know what they about, right? Now, I did not watch this interview with Harry and Meghan because honestly, I just don't find this stuff to be that interesting. I'm not judging you if you do. I personally don't give a damn, all right? So I did not watch this interview. However, the impression that I've gotten here is that these people came to tell this story. Like, it doesn't really sound to me like Oprah was really having to pull teeth to get it out of them. And I tell you this, too. If you want to hit me with the, like, how dope is Oprah as an interviewer on the basis of this, if she had gotten them to tell specifically who it was that was afraid of what skin color that baby was going to be, then I'd say you the G among Gs. But I think a significant part of it otherwise, and this is not saying that Oprah ain't good at this. I'm just saying that being good at this for a long time or being good at it makes you better at it people come in more likely to give you something like that's just that's just a part of the game that i can tell you about on first hand uh, i talked about this a little bit on uh the right time but i'll talk about it here i have been floored by some of the performative responses to the idea that grandparents perhaps or family on either side of an interracial relationship was a little too concerned with what the skin tone of the baby was going to be. Like, why are y'all acting like y'all don't know any people? Like, you've never met anybody before. Like, you've never heard anybody ever have a discussion about this, whether it be playful or more sinister. Like, you're really going to act like, like, this This just blew your mind. What you, what you thought the royal family was going to be out here, and if we've got a black prince, we've just got a black prince. I was never, no. They're not about to be redoing Othello up there. What are you, high? No, that was never going to be the play. That was never it. And to see people act so surprised by this, I'm just like, I guess you ain't never had no interaction in your own life that involved interracial relationships. It bring all kind of wild shit out of people. My goodness. Somebody in the chat room said, does the conversation directed around Megan's race make you uncomfortable? I don't even know what you mean by that. What is supposed to make me uncomfortable um, in the course of this? Like, what about it exactly? Now, is it kind of interesting that apparently the royal family was afraid that some regressive Negro genes were going to like pop up, like it just overpower everything and jump out? I mean, look at Meghan Markle. Like, it ain't like it ain't like Harry married Lupita. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, oh, like somebody was definitely extra diligent on this. But this is a thing that comes up with people all the time, all the time. The white folks, of when looking at the progeny of an interracial relationship. Are very open, hoping that child can be as light as possible. And the black folks looking at the progeny of an interracial relationship are very often hoping that baby will be as light as possible. Gotta be kidding me. Like, I just saw that whole reaction to that. Everybody, like, oh my God, I can't believe they say that. Go ask some black people what they think about the children from interracial relationships. Go ask them about it. Might make you, now that might make you a little uncomfortable. But go ask him about it. 
They not hoping that baby turn out looking dark as dad or mom, whichever one is the one in this case. Believe that. So that's why I was just looking at the way that people were reacting to the idea that the royal family might be a little racist. You don't say. Now, I did think being like, yo, explicitly saying the kid can't be a prince and all that stuff. I mean, that's a bit much. I, I, I did think that was going too far. That was, that was, that was, I wasn't surprised by it, though. And I just couldn't understand any of the people who were. Like, what world is this that you're in? You know, dumbass. Like, like, do you believe in fairy tales to the point where somehow you thought that the royal family of England wouldn't be dedicated to whiteness. Like, have you never read anything before? Like, really? Really? Like, because I do not understand Americans' fascination with the royal family. Like, I get it if you grow up under that. We fought a whole war to not have to give a damn about them. Not we, but you know what I'm saying. Like, it's some of us. You know, shout out to Christmas addicts, you know? But, like, I'm just blown away at, not blown away by how many people care, but I, like, I don't find it to be interesting. And one thing that I have found interesting about the whole tale of Meghan Markle is what I have learned in observing people as they observe the whole Meghan Markle thing is, holy shit, I had no idea how many adults like still dream about being princesses. Because otherwise, who cares? Like, who is she? <laughs> what is she on, Suits? Did you watch Suits? I never watched no episode of Suits. What well, suits on USA? Y'all watch the shows on USA? No disrespect. I'm just I'm curious. Like, I'm not talking about wrestling or SVU. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I never recalled anybody ever talking about her before, or anybody ever caring about her before. People, like, there's a whole lot of people that are really heavily invested in this idea and this dream of being a princess. And I gotta say, that is wildly childish to me. But I guess we all got dreams, right? And Meghan Markle, like, kind of stumbled into it. And I just have no idea how you ever thought that the Windsors would be anything. They wasn't trying to kick it with Diana Spencer. She was white as hell, but regular. And if they thought she was regular, Meghan Markle got married, and she got cousins that's trying to put out weed strains in her name. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. What did you think of the new coming to America? First of all, I appreciate the fact that you knew you ain't even have to ask me if I saw it. Because I don't really be like trying to talk about movies and stuff on my Twitter account no more because it's just it's too unwieldy at this point. Like, I'm no longer surrounded by friends who want to, you know, you don't know how y'all are. Anyway, well, yes, I did watch The New Coming to America. What did I think about The New Coming to America? So, a year ago, in fact, this was the last day that I was among the world before it all shut down, I had a meeting with some people, and a guy that's a big time in Hollywood told me that he had heard that The New Coming to America was going to be incredible. I've been told that there's a pretty significant uh, rewrite after what I had been told. Um, but, you know, I, I went into it with fairly high expectations. And what I think the movie was, was an opportunity to kind of reminisce 
on the first one. Like, they didn't make an effort to create new characters or, like, any of that stuff, right? Like, it was leaning back into the people that we had seen in the previous uh, Coming to America, right? So they weren't trying to... They weren't trying to break any ground. They weren't trying to make a whole new classic. They were trying to make a cool way for you to kick it for a couple of hours. And they did. Like, I enjoyed it in that way. There's nothing, like, supremely memorable that came out of it or anything like that. But they did it. Good for them. You know, they made it happen uh, like that. I think, one thing I think that is interesting is that I still contend that the first coming to America a significant part of it is what would New York seem like to you if you just showed up from a whole nother country? And that element wasn't in this one. It couldn't be in this one just because of the nature of the plot. You know, like you couldn't have that effect that we had. Like, I did think that they tried like, if this were really intended to be like a whole nother coming to America, then what you wind up doing is leaning in on the gentrification. Like, I watched the first coming to America right before I watched the second one. And one of the more interesting things is, you know, I've been living here now for almost four years. So I'm able to see things and kind of recognize where they are. And so the barbershop, for example, the barbershop is not in Queens. The barbershop is in Williamsburg, and I peeped it because I saw one of the street signs, and it had, like, it was, like, South Fifth or something like that. And I was like, oh, okay, I know that. That's Williamsburg. That's over there by uh, where the Vice Studios are. And let me tell you something, brother. I have heard people talk about what the level of gentrification in Williamsburg is, okay? But what I want you to do, I want you to get your Google on. I think that the barbershop is at, like, South Fifth and Hooper. I think those are the streets. Put that in Google. And it'll give you, you know, like, and put it coming to America. It'll tell you what the locations are, right? Um, you think about what that neighborhood looked like in coming to America, and then put that thing into Google Earth or Google Maps or whichever one to tell you what the neighborhood looks right now. And I am pretty damn sure that that is not going to look the same. You know, and they kind of get to that a little bit. You know, they talk about, you know, how, like, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, I guess too late for spoiler alert, but you should have known by the question. Um, but like that kind of stuff, like leaning into how much New York has changed, because I think such a big part of the movie was leaning into what New York was in the 1980s. You're just not going to have that kind of element here. It's not, it wasn't going to have that level of depth. You know, and these are kind of the subtle things that you only think about when you start talking about the movie over and over again. They weren't going to be able to pull that off. It just wasn't possible. You know, so... I thought it was good. I thought it was cool. But I think this is another case where people need to make a decision about whether or not they're going to evaluate something in the context of what it's not or what it is. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Are we witnessing the end of movie theaters with all the streaming service launches? Now, look, I, I mean, I understand that this generation of kids is a bit less social than my generation was and all of that stuff. But I still feel like as a teenager or whatever, you still there's still like a limited number of places that you can get into. And the movies is always going to be one of them. And, I mean, let's keep it real. 
long as you live with your parents, they still ain't found a better place to fill your girl up than the movies. I mean, I feel like that ought to sell some tickets no matter what. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Listen to this dude say, what effect does a pastor telling the church to say amen have on the congregation? As if I've ever been a part of a church congregation. Are you trying to phase out the goatee? I have a serious question for you, sir. Do you know what a goatee is? Because I've had people say something to me about shaving off my goatee. I have been wearing a full beard for a year. Do you not see this goatee? Like, I decided to shave it all off because I was going to be off work for a week and a half. But, like, do you, do you see what this is? Oh, man, this is a lot of questions. Trump sent out a statement encouraging Herschel Walker to run for Georgia Senate. Is he winning if he runs? I cannot say definitively that he's losing. He probably wouldn't win. But there was a time. Oh, he'd have won. The Addison Pop Bruno Mars album going bang, right? So, I listened to the first track that Bruno and uh, Andy put out. And my initial thought upon hearing it was. That sounded a bit more like a Bruno Mars song than an Andy song, and I'm not here for Bruno Mars. I don't have a problem with Bruno Mars. I think Bruno Mars makes pretty good music. But uh, if I want somebody to take the lead on this project, I don't want it to be Bruno Mars. I want it to be Andy. That's the dude that I want to be out in front on this. But I understand Bruno Mars is the biggest star and all that. And so, what is the leader door open? I think that's what the joint's called. I thought it was good. I wouldn't mind hearing it again. But I don't want an album that sounds like that. No, sir. I do not. Now, I was encouraged when I watched the video, and I'm like, oh, it sounds like if this is the band that Andy going to be drumming. I'm here for that. God, I'm here for that. But I don't want a whole album that sounds like that. Because one thing I rock with about typically whatever sound Andy's on, it don't really sound like other people. And Bruno Mars, at his best, always sounds like somebody else. Always does. And that's not what I want. It's not. You know, so like if they took this on the road with a tour, yeah, put Bruno out in front, let him be that guy, you know? But that's, for me personally, that's not the dude I came to see. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. Is Pepe Le Pew the Harvey Weinstein of cartoon characters? So I've seen this thing that they're getting Pepe Le Pew out of the paint. Right? Here's the thing to me about Pepe Le Pew that I think that people are losing sight of. I saw somebody put out a very interesting Twitter thread that was about how basically it's not as though Pepe Le Pew's behavior was ever deemed to be acceptable. 
right? Like everything he's doing, everybody around him is always down on it. Like it's not as though he is encouraged. It's not like you watch a Pepe Le Pew cartoon and the conclusion that you come away with is that this is the way that you should behave. Right, but he, Pepe kind of got caught in a like baby it's cold outside situation where we apply the new public sensibilities onto something from before, and then we kind of like get our wires a little crossed and it gets a little weird, right? The reason to cancel, if you would say so, Pepe Le Pew, is because it is obviously intended to shit on the French. He smells bad. He's always trying to steal your girl. Like, these are all stereotypes of the French. Look at his name. They're all stereotypes of the French. Like, if there's a problem, that's where the problem comes up. It's not the idea that Pepe Le Pew is too handsy. It's that the notion of the cartoon is that the French are too handsy. Like, it's right there. Because some of y'all hadn't thought about that, huh? Somebody talked about his music headed towards TikTok videos promoted by social media influencers as the way to get a number one song. What do you mean headed toward? What are you late? It's there. Been there. All right, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Somebody would have... I can't imagine who this person is that put this in here, Charles McBride. Thoughts on, thoughts on cancel culture. Can you imagine anything that I hate more than somebody jumping in here with a thoughts and the thoughts is on that dumb shit? Like, can you, you must be new. You see music festivals announcing lineups today. There's no way music festivals are ever going to be the same, right? I have no idea how, at this point in the game, that people are asking this. They're going to be the exact same. It's just going to be a matter of whether or not you're willing to go. Don't you see how people are chomping at the bit to go back to doing whatever? Did we not just talk about these places opening up to 100% capacity and that a whole bunch of them are probably going to be full at 100% capacity, do you not see these clubs in Atlanta and these other places that are wall-to-wall full of people? Do you not see this? And you think music festivals ain't going to be the same? As soon as possible, they are going to be exactly the same. Like, on one hand, we can't talk about how people are going crazy in the midst of this isolation, and then on the other hand, think that people are going to keep it up after they don't have to. Nah, people are going to be right back out there. They're going to be right back at it. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Do you think South Park Family Guy and the Cleveland Show survive canceling if Dr. Seuss can't even make it? You dumbass. Dr. Seuss is doing all right. Go look at what the pick the caricatures were that the Dr. Seuss, I would say the Dr. Seuss estate made that decision by itself. Nobody made them do anything. They did that all on their own. Go look at the stuff that's in question. It's wild problematic. It's books that nobody had even heard of. It was probably a good idea for them to go ahead and do that, right? 
you act like people who say this about like South Park and Family Guy and all this, you act like this stuff wasn't just on. Like very, South Park's still on, right? What are you talking about? Like those, there's room to have edge about this stuff, right? Like, like and, there's, and you're always going to be cut a certain measure of slack, but if the entirety of the joke is a caricature, then that's not going to go anywhere. That's not going to happen, right? What we're doing when we get into this conversation is we allow white folks to dictate the terms on this, and it's like dealing with somebody, if you've ever been in a relationship with a person who goes all the way to the other side when you say something about a little bit, like, hey, you know, I think this one thing's a problem. Okay, I'll never do that again then. I'll, I won't do anything like it. What? And that's what's happening here. Oh, man, we can't do anything. No, we said you can't do that. And now all of a sudden you acting like a buster about it. All right, appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, forgive me for not knowing her name, is Mackenzie Scott. Just hit stuff with a teacher. What's the most unequally yoked couple you've observed and did it last? I don't know, like, the most unequally yoked couple I've ever observed, like, in my own life. But, you know, the only thing that makes this unequally yoked couple stand out is that she the one with all the money. Um, I don't know where she met this school teacher how long she's been with this school teacher. Um, maybe they known each other forever. I don't know if he was aware of who she was when they first met, anything like that, right? I have no idea. This is all I want to know. What was it like the first time he went and stayed over at her house? Can you imagine how the sheets on her bed feel? Like, just think about that. Can you imagine that? Like, the first time he went over there. Like, damn. This is great. Because, like, let me tell you something about, like, that level of rich. Or just, just generally speaking. Right, so I'll give you a story. I forgot I told the story to somebody the other day, but I'll tell you this how it goes. So, you know, you guys know when, you know, when I got my suit man, right, my man in Hong Kong. And so my brother took a friend of his to get fitted up. But this friend, I forget how he met this gentleman, but this dude in one year made $22 million. Deadass, right? Made $22 million. And so once it became clear to the tailor that he was dealing with a whale, now he pulled out a book of swatches that my brother has never seen before. All right? Now, I say that to say everything that we think is like the fanciest version of whatever that thing is, as your money goes up, you get access to a world of even fancier that you didn't know existed 
because there's no point in telling the rest of us about it, right? So, like, I imagine the carpet at Mackenzie Scott's house. I got no idea what it's made out of. But can you imagine how luxurious that carpet is? Just think about that. Like the soap that's on, on by the sinks. It ain't that soap we getting, I promise you. It ain't nothing you can order off of Amazon Prime neither. I assure you. I want to hear an interview with that dude. Because somebody said they met through her foundation, whatever it is. I guarantee you what he going to say in that interview. It was love at first sight. I knew the first time I laid eyes on her, one way or another, I was going to make it work. I give her every chance in the world. Every chance in the world. All right. Appreciate the question. See what else we got here. Somebody in the chat room talking about money had nothing to do with it. I mean, it definitely would have. Let me tell you something. Money always got something to do with it. Don't ever let nobody help you get this twisted. Money always got something to do with it in one way or another. Because money is like, it's capitalism, man. We stuck in it. I ain't never going to be the one to judge a woman for not dating your broke ass. You being broke is going to be a problem. Right, bro, running out of questions. All right, baby, I got about 45 minutes. That was pretty good to me. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Evening Jones. We try to do this thing about once a week. My man, Lance Gilliam, manages everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember... If you cannot watch the Evening Jones Live, subscribe to the podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, we so many places now, I ain't even got to tell y'all. Go find us. They got podcasts. They got us. All right. Talk to you guys a little bit later. Take it easy. The Evening Jones is an old soul production. Creative direction and design is provided by Kareem Gilliam for Oh My's Creative Design.